Welcome to the Cashflow Guys podcast. We're back again for another week, and Mike and I are together, not in the same state, not even in the same zip code. We're in the same country, I think. I don't know. You got something foreign going on behind you, Mike. What's that all about? Aren't you proud of me? I finally got the spray foam insulation you kept harp harping on me about in this shed. Our investors love that you are a tight ass with money because you're a great steward of their money, but sometimes it drives me crazy. <laughs> you don't like the studs? <laughs> he probably beat up every spray and foam insulation contractor in the Midwest. And some poor sucker came back, it came in on, on, on mule by mule over the mountains, hauling a spray can of insulation to give Mike the best bid. <laughs> <laughs> but it makes me happy. You said the acoustics sound better. Hopefully they do for this episode. Oh, and, it's uh, night and day different. There's no echo anymore, which will make my job easier for editing. Not that we do a whole lot of editing to begin with, but sometimes your levels are off because of the way the sound bounces. I was in a tin can. That's true. And I can hear the dogs barking outside in the past, which I can't hear them barking anymore. No. So, anyway, insulation. Good thing. Go green. It is. It absolutely is. My favorite thing in the whole world It's. The only reason that you guys aren't hearing background noise, because I'm here in Key West at my at the house in Key West, and I live right on a very busy street where everything's going on, and I'm a half a block from Duval Street, so we hear all the parties, and literally Delta Airlines is flying overhead. It's because my house was built in the early 1800s, mid-1800s, and it's built like a tank, so there's not a whole lot of sound that gets through this house. I got big, thick walls in the whole nine yards, so thank goodness. Built-in studio. So, Mike, this week, we're going to talk to the folks about shortcuts to getting their next deal. Yeah. And before we go into that, I want to unpack a few things. And I want to give you guys a couple of confessions that I struggled with early on when I got in the business. You're going, Mike, You we, we were talking earlier and how this episode came to pass is that you're building out a marketing plan for your crash pads and you've picked up some new skills in the process of doing that. I want to unpack those because I want the folks at home to hear the trials and the tribulations, right? What you've gone through, the success that you've had, but more importantly, the system, the process of what you've broken down. You've been studying marketing now for a couple of years. Obviously, there's a lot to be studied. Everybody's got an opinion, but there are the basic core fundamentals of marketing. I know when I say lead generation, about half of the audience out there listening at home rolls their eyes and are like, oh, I don't want to hear any more about it. But here's the thing. If you don't have generate, learn to generate leads, and more importantly, know what to do with them once you have them, mm-hmm. then there's no guru course in the world that's going to make that process any easier for you. Mike, you remember the first time we tried to raise money with a fresh database of nobody in it? Yeah. It's hard. It's frustrating. And I'm sure a lot of listeners are there. Hell, hell I was there just a few months ago. Right. I, Tyler's a natural salesman. And not in a swarmy type of way, but he's very good at getting people's attention, highlighting their problems. I'm not so much. <laughs> I like to stay in the cockpit, close the door. I do my stuff. I push my buttons. I'm happy. So right. it's out of my comfort zone to sell. So fear of asking for the sale was always an issue for me because we've all been used car salesmen and you just hear the word used car salesman and you automatically have this image of that personality. And right. it's not a good one, most likely. And so I was very fearful about being associated with somebody begging for a deal, somebody begging for money or whatnot. And it doesn't have to be that way. And so I'm, I'm excited later on to show you uh, what I've learned to overcome that. Because it doesn't have to be, 
hey, hey, Tyler, do you want to be my crash pad? Do you want to buy my house? Right. It doesn't have to be that. And more importantly, the professional marketers don't do that. Tyler, you don't point the finger. You always told me never point the finger, whether literally or literal uh, or when you're writing something, even the word you or your, you always tell me stay away from. And exactly. It's, it makes a lot more sense now when I'm implementing it and what you mean. Yeah, it's funny. Even I did sell cars for a very short stint, but I was a new car salesman because I too shared the stigma of the used car. I didn't want to be a used car salesman. To me, that was the lowest rung out there, right? That's like being a personal injury attorney or a real estate agent or the other but I struggled with that. So when I had the opportunity to choose between new car sales and used car sales, I chose new car sales because of that stigma. And here's the interesting fact. The guys in used car sales made twice as much money as we did in new car sales. What? Yeah, because you think about it, new car sales, only so many people in a given population, this is going back to the 1990s, could qualify to buy a new car. But on the lot, when you've got people that vary in their financial credibility show up, maybe 10% of the people that walk on the lot can afford or be financed on a new car. The other 90% can't. So the guys that sold used cars over on the used car side of the dealership, and I was at a Ford dealership, which I used to kid myself to think that gave me an extra level of chutzpah, but that was ridiculous. The guys on the used car side, they could sell anything to anybody that rolled in. There was buy here, pay here. You didn't barely even have to have a job all the way up to almost new cars, lease turn-ins. So your ability to close a client was significantly higher on the used car side than it ever was on the new car side. A lot of you are wondering, what does that mean to me as a real estate investor? Think about that. If you pigeonhole, yeah, I'm a big believer in getting focused in on your avatar and the whole nine yards, but that's not, you, you got to be careful to not to do that so bad that you limit yourself, you completely limit yourself to growth, right? To be able to service all things. For example, Mike, we were talking about your crash pad. And for those of you that don't know, a crash pad is a place that airline pilots and air crew, when they're between flights, instead of going to a hotel, they'll rent a, a bed at a crash pad. And basically they pay a fixed fee per month, whatever that may be. And then they have a bed that's theirs. In this case, Mike, he flies in and out of Vegas, even though he lives in Colorado. He goes to Vegas. Now he doesn't have to pay 150 bucks for a hotel room. He can just go to his crash pad. It costs him a couple hundred dollars a month. Everything's great. His pillow and blankie are there and his whoopee and all the other good things. I know you don't need that stuff, Mike, but I do. <laughs> I'm a grown man, child. Those things are important to me. But yeah, you got your own things, your own sheets, and it's nice. And you don't spend $1,500 a month in hotel rooms as an airline pilot. So when he's doing his marketing, these the steps that we're going to talk about later in this podcast are what he did to overcome his marketing problem. Because what when I say marketing problem, that's vacancy. So for example, if you're listening and you're a landlord and you're thinking, boy, why are my vacation rentals not full? You should pay attention and listen up. I just went through that and I had to go through that process again because trust me, there are sometimes things don't work as planned. And recently, a lot of my vacation rentals were vacant and I'm sitting there scratching my head. I had to go back and apply the rules of marketing, problem, agitate, solution, figure out what's going on. I suffered from, as far as the vacation rentals, a lack of leads. I did not have enough people knocking on the door saying, I want to come stay at your place. The second thing that a lot of people feel is, let's say I get the leads. And this happens a lot. I used to go sit in, Mike, at uh, Pitch Fest, the guru seminars. Mm -hmm. I would literally wait to show up to the end because I wanted to hear the pitch. 
But more importantly, I wanted to see how the crowd related to the pitch. That's how I learned how to sell. You can't, saying the same thing over and over again, you're going to get a predictable result, right? So really what that means is unless you change your script, you're not going to change the outcome. Mm -hmm. Which is why I don't like scripts to begin with, because I believe that when you're selling something, you're trying to get leads, you got to be making sure that you're paying attention to how the audience can react. Okay. So in this case, there is a big problem in the world. I suffered from it. And that is fear of what to do with the lead once you get it. Yeah. Here's an example. Remember when we were first raising capital for the fund early on, we didn't have a deal, but we needed to raise capital so that when we could get in front of a deal, we had the ability to pull the trigger. And then there were times where we had the money, but we didn't have a deal. Yeah. So when you try to go get a deal and you don't have the money, it's which comes first, right? I've got one, but not the other. And people are like, you should always raise the money first. I don't agree. And the, or they'll say, you should always go find the deal first and then raise the money. I don't agree. Way too much stress there. There is. The answer is both. You've got to be doing both and doing both well, which means you're always ABC, right? Always be closing. You need to be raising private capital at the same time you, that you're looking for opportunity. Number one, when you're raising private capital and you don't have anything to put it into, you have no vision. So with that, you got to get lasered, lasered focused on your avatar. Who exactly are you planning to serve? What type of properties are you going to do? And now with us, we initially wanted to focus on Key West because there is a god-awful amount of opportunity here. There still is. However, people felt that the Airbnb type vacation rental model was not as viable as what they were looking for. They wanted something more sure, safe bet, long-term type play. They were a little skeptical of the short-term rental thing. We raised money, yes, but not as much money as we wanted. Part of that is because I don't think we were necessarily convinced either enough. So with that set of problems held us back. Right. And it helped holds all investors back. Mike, you remember when you got your, you're doing your first deal like there with vacation rentals back in St. Petersburg years ago. There was probably a time that you had an emotion that you were like, Oh boy, what if I rent this to someone and they trash it? What oh, if yeah. I put the ad out on Air, an Airbnb and everybody hates it? It's true. Yeah. What if my friends think I'm broke because I have to rent my house? <laughs> Which in your case, you were just moving. And it it happened to work out because you were on a ship all the time or you were flying or whatever. Now, for me, one of the things I see suffers because I talk to a lot of up and coming real estate investors, people that are learning because they feel as if they're going to go broke buying leads. I thought I was going to go broke buying leads last week. Yeah. It's you can spend Facebook will be more than happy to help themselves to your debit card or credit card. Worse, I think now you can even do ACH. But they're good at taking your money. That doesn't make Facebook disingenuous. It's just that it's a computer. It's what it's programmed to do. Yeah. So we talked about leads. Number one, being finding sellers so you can have the property. Find leads for money. And the third one we didn't mention, you need to find leads for tenants. Yes. I think a lot of people for that stage, all of them, they get so excited that they have the money, they're able to buy the house. And then what? Oh, shit. Like or vacancy is the biggest cancer you can have. That's right. If it's going to be a flip, you got to find that end buyer. Yeah. And in a lot of cases, people tend to hopefully rely on their realtors and hopefully the realtors are marketers. The reality of it is 99% of realtors are not marketers. 
which is why they, the realtors have a lead generation problem. Okay. So it's, it can be disheartening getting into real estate investing thinking, okay, if I raise capital, I got to find a deal. I don't know how to find a deal. I don't know where to start. I guess I need leads. I need motivated sellers. Where do I find those? And when I do find a motivated seller, let's say I do send a mailing out and God forbid it works. Someone's going to call me and I got to sound like I know what I'm talking about. I don't know what to say. Where do I begin? What do I do? Oh my God. My postcard said I buy cash and close in seven days. I don't even have enough money to buy lunch, let alone anything (laughs) else. How am I going to be able to buy their $300,000 house? I get it, guys. I get it. It, it, it's very stressful. And I think that's why a lot of people don't pull the trigger. If you've listened to all 401 episodes and you haven't done anything, hey, I understand. I was there too. It's frustrating. And the most frustrating part is getting over the fear of starting. You're like me. My biggest fear was feeling salesy. That's a big Going one. Out and Scaring people away, scaring away friends because, oh, shoot, he just wants to sell me on something. That's right. It doesn't have to be that way. And I'm excited to tell you how I overcame literally two days ago by incorporating different marketing message uh, methods that Tyler taught me, that others have taught me. And selling doesn't have to really repel friends. In fact, I'm excited to show you what actually can attract friends. That's right. Guys, I know what you're thinking at home. You just went to the real estate meeting last week and all the cool cats sit, sat together at the one table, drinking coffee and swapping stories that are probably bullshit to begin with. And boy, I wish I was sitting at that table with those smart people and I'll never get there because I don't have all the answers yet. And if the phone rings, I don't know what to say. And if I'm, if the wholesaler walks into the meeting and has a great deal and, and I don't even want to talk to the wholesaler because if he pitches me the deal. I feel like I have to do it or I'm not going to be in the cool kids club. They're going to think that I'm broke. They're going to think that I'm stupid. I've had all these emotions. So it's number one, before we even get into this, it's okay to feel this way. Know that it's okay to feel this way. I felt it this way. Mike's felt this way. The real estate meetings are really good at dividing people, the successful from the people that are trying to be because of the whole clicky garbage, which is why I you generally tell people, I don't think the value is there as much anymore with most real estate meetings as, as what they used to be back in the day, because a lot of people are playing peacock. They're walking around flashing their feathers, oh, thinking yeah. everybody's trying to pretend they're a hotshot. And there you go. That said, what you're about to learn is a very simple method that I'm going to, I'm going to be honest with you at first, as you hear Mike go through this, it's going to cause some discomfort it did with me. Now I've done this before. I didn't like it when I did it. It it didn't feel good to me. It didn't feel natural, but I'm here to tell you it works. And when you think through that stuff, think to yourself, what's the worst thing that could happen? That's what I had to do. If I do this method, this is not anything necessarily new, It's but it is a tried and true method. And I think Alex Hermosi is where you got it from, Mike. Yeah, Alex Ramosi, uh, you probably, if you've been listening to this, you've probably seen him all over your YouTube feed. Oh, yeah. He's written $100 million deals. He has a book coming out this month, $100 million offers, I think, was the first book that both Tyler and I read. Right. He's very energetic, young guy, multimillionaire. We uh, think. Well, <laughs> we haven't audited his financials, but in the funnel, he gives you the impression that he's a multimillionaire. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll say this too. I was a reading geek. 
I used to read every single book I could find about real estate investing. And then I switched to, I'm going to read everything I can about marketing. And then I hoped I would just wake up. I'd be a pro. Boom. Let's go. No. All those ideas are in the back of my head. I still had that fear, so I couldn't engage them. Right. What I liked about this Alex Hermosa video, which if you want to see it, go on YouTube. Uh, it's entitled, Watch This to Get Your First Five Customers. Boom, that hook grabbed me. I had to watch it 12 times. It goes really fast. I had to watch it 12 times to get all. What I like about it is he goes literally step by step. Me, I'm analytical. I needed that. But more importantly, he showed me that all that information that I read about is in the back of my mind. It's easy to overcome that fear by, by, with, by knowing that when you talk to somebody, if you don't try to sell, but instead ask if they know what my solution if, and know, if know anybody who can benefit from my solution. So after watching it, I'll just, I'll, his video is very in tune to products. Eventually goes into giving it away for free and everything. That doesn't really work with real estate. But when I was thinking about for real estate, I brought it to five steps. Number one is compile a contact list. What does that mean? It means everybody on your phone, your friends, family, Facebook Messenger. You probably have thousands of them on there, right? I use WhatsApp and Telegram. A lot of the pilots are on that. Now go on there, go real quick to their profile and see something that they've accomplished lately. I don't know, maybe they went to the Grand Canyon. In my example, I was targeting my pilots who recently upgraded to be captain. They just got captain. Now they're on reserve, which for the layman is like airport standby. Somebody gets, somebody gets sick, breaks a leg. They call that guy. Hey, we need you in two hours. Come to the plane. Because they need them in two hours, they have to be close to the airport, which means they need to stay in my crash pad. I narrowed down the list on people. These people could use my services. And if not, they knew people who possibly could. I acknowledged a common ground in step two. So wait a minute. As a real estate investor sitting home listening to this, how do I know who a potential lead should be? You seems like it's easier because you know who the pilots are, but how do I know? Yeah. Any thoughts on that? How I know who the actual lead is that, that I should put in there? Or do I segment my list or do I hit everybody? All right, let's talk about the, a seller's lead. So you've brought up before, and I love this idea. You were able to get a list of foreclosure. What do, well, what do you call it? You went to the eviction court. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Those names are public record, I would think. They are. Who's in court? There's a small list right there you can use. But that might be, those people not necessarily will be in your contact list. What I'm saying is that what Alex Ramosi was saying, hey, maybe my friend Dave knows somebody who is selling a house. Maybe my friend Dave knows somebody who has a lot of money in his self-directed IRA and doesn't know what to do with it. So the list doesn't necessarily have to be fine-tuned to they will be my customer. In my aspect, I was able to fine-tune it to that, but you don't need to. Remember, you want to compile the list from your, all your contacts because it's not them who may be a customer. As I'm going to go into, you're going to see if they know anybody. So you're going to exponentially increase your clientele base. I had to make a spike in the thing so we can cut back. I want to cut back to where we started with this thing. I did something that Jill laughed and I went off on a tangent somewhere else. And then we, you didn't really go. What I wanted to segue was how it was relevant to them, the investor. Uh -huh. And it doesn't matter on the first step that you, so in other words, the answer would be, so if I say, 
Mike, but how, what does that mean to a real estate investor? Because you're talking about pilots and I'm sitting at home and I'm a real estate investor. What does that mean? Well, that's the beauty of this is that it apply. I hit everybody on my contact list, pilots and non-pilots, Aunt Susie, my mailman, everybody. Oh, so she goes into the details of that. Because the six degrees of separation say that there's a motivated seller out there somewhere in my iPhone database. I just don't know who that person is. And to try to project that is what gets people in trouble. See what I'm saying? I see. So let's roll it back to when you started getting into the list. And I'll just start it back in so that it'll come back. Let me try to think how to intro that. So Mike, now that we talked about the issues at hand, I'd like for you to go through with them since it's fresh in your mind. You just did this. How, what steps to take, right? What steps, how to begin, how to get over the finish line and get through this process. Now, guys, before he starts, I want to say this. There are parts of this that initially will sound uncomfortable to you. Full disclaimer. The good news is you're not going to die listening to it. Take in the information, not requiring you to do it right this second. Hear them out, and then we can talk about it. If you guys are nervous about doing this, the fastest way to get over the nervousness, go to cashflowguys.com, whack the button to, to reach out to us, send us an email, schedule a phone call. We'll help you walk through the process if you need help getting over this thing. But I promise you this, if you take the steps that Mike's about to tell you, you're going to have great results. I did this years ago. Mike just did it recently. It works. It works well. It is a touch uncomfortable for a moment. But once you realize how efficient and how effective this is, you're going to see that this is probably going to be a great way for you to get yourself going on and off the ground. Every problem that you encompass as a real estate investor or entrepreneur can be solved with getting better at your marketing. Every problem is a marketing problem or that, 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 every problem you run across as an entrepreneur can somehow be tied back to a marketing problem. Keep that in mind. So if you solve your marketing problems, you could solve a lot of a host of other problems. Mike, please continue. Yeah. So the easiest way to find leads is to contact everyone who may know potential leads. What do I mean by that? So Alex Ramosi, I don't you probably see him on uh, YouTube, anything. He's a very good marketer. He's inspired me from everything I've learned from all the marketing books I've read to get me over the hump. Right. And so step one is compile a contact list. So let me stop the you there. In your, everybody in my phone? Everybody you know knows at least five people. If they got a lot of friends, they know more than that. So gardener, baker, can, baker candlestick maker, everybody. Everybody. Okay. Everybody. And don't worry, we're not going to try to sell them specifically. That's what I love about this. So number one is compile your contact list. That could be on, on your phone, text message. It could be Facebook Messenger. I use WhatsApp and Telegram a lot. First, get that list together. Number two, go on their profile. What have they done recently that you can congratulate them on? Maybe they just had a baby. Maybe they bought a house or something. Or if nothing to congratulate on, something you have common ground. Oh, I just saw you went kayaking yesterday because they just put a post on that they went kayaking in the river on Facebook. It could be that simple. I want to scroll back a second here. All of your contacts, everybody, all the people on your phone, email list, whatever. Because I tell you, a lot of people say, Tyler, I'm just getting started. I don't have a list. I said that to myself recently when I got rolling here in, in real estate in Key West. I'm like, I don't know anybody. And I don't know at the time, I didn't know anybody in Key West. It was like my first day here. I'm like, I don't know anybody. Now I know a lot of people. But a lot of the people I know probably will never buy real estate in Key West. 
or they already have real estate in Key West and they certainly don't want to buy it from me because I haven't been here for 50 years and I'm not a conk yet anyway. So when he says everybody, he means everybody, guys. He means everybody because you can't sit there and Monday morning quarterback who a legitimate lead is. That's not how the game is played. Initially, everybody needs to know the services that you put out there if you have a service to put out there. Now, Mike's not going to call him and say, hey, I'm an airline pilot. Do you need a ride? That's silly. But if Mike's got a crash pad, you'd think, wait a minute, why would Mike send something to my Aunt Sally about having a crash pad? Aunt Sally's not going to rent a cash crash pad. Yes, but Aunt Sally has nieces and nephews and cousins and grandchildren and all those other things who may either be or be related to or married to or whatever, shacking up with an airline pilot who may need something in Las Vegas. But here's what I can guarantee you. If people don't know what you have to offer, then they're never going to be willing to buy it. The next thing is I want to hit before we move on to that is you had said you're not, you don't have to sell them yet. The beauty of this guys is you'd never have to sell them at all. That's why you're doing this. Instead, you're telling them the services that you provide and you're relying on them. And I won't steal your thunder, Mike, but you're relying on them to take a predictable action that is not uncomfortable for you to initiate. So with that, just to hit it again, compile the contact list and then come up with some common ground. Hey, Mike, what about that? Those Airbus 320s? Yeah. Yeah. The Airbus 320, Mike, how about, did you hear they're coming out with a new Airbus? Any thoughts on that? Oh, get Mike talk about airplanes. It's over with. Exactly. Yeah. You can talk with Mike eight hours about airplanes. You just got me excited. So now any, now we're just having a friendly conversation and the person on the end of the phone, well, in this case, uh, on the messenger is happy to converse with you because they're talking about themselves. That's right. And their favorite subject. Their favorite subject subject. is themselves. It's true. Yeah. Once you had a solo podcast all those years. Yeah. So, number one, compile the contact list, acknowledge common ground, compliment them. Like you mentioned, if you legitimately, oh, yeah. And you can compliment them because on their Facebook uh, profile, let's just say, hey, I could see Tyler just got a raise. Hey, Tyler, congratulations on the raise. Wow. I I could guarantee you because I've been doing it the past three days. Once you compliment somebody, they will reply. Yes. They always reply when you compliment them. It's too hard not to. Exactly. Yeah. Because they want people to join in their party. Let me add to this one real quick, because when it comes to the compliment, there's a way that you can be genuine or disingenuine, whether you realize it or not. For example, when you talk about people's appearance. Oh, have you, wait, like when you say to someone that's overweight, that's obviously overweight. Oh, look, you've lost weight. Don't say that to people <laughs> because people that are overweight are like, fuck you. Do you think I'm fat in the first place? He <laughs> bastard. And they start getting mad, right? That, that's just the reality of things. That's how it is. So these compliments need to be legit. Hey man, like I just saw you got a new car. That must feel awesome. Hey, have you had it on the interstate yet? How fast does it go? Do you have the turbo? Oh, no. Okay. What made you decide against the turbo? And when you ask these questions, be genuine and really wanting to know what the answers are because you hit it, Mike. What are they going to say? They're going to start talking about what they're passionate about, what excites them. It makes them feel good and it draws them into you. Please continue. Yeah. And the beauty of all this, it's your friend. It's your friend. How it's so much easier. It's common sense to make an engagement conversation with a friend than it would to be just a random guy. That you found on Facebook. Remember, these are friends, coworkers, even loosely connected coworkers. You have common ground. 
that fraternal, sororal connection with. So that's why I like this method. It's so easy to do it because you're talking to friends, just have a good conversation. Contact list, common ground, compliment them now on the, after they are all excited about your compliment. Ask them for advice related to your offer. Give me an example of that, Mike, in your situation. My specific situation with my crash pad, I could tell right away, because look at his profile, if the pilot has just upgraded to captain. I know if he just upgraded to captain, he needs a crash pad in Las Vegas or wherever he or she is. Myself, I am, I commute to Las Vegas. I need a crash pad myself. So I ask advice, hey, captain, I really want to upgrade a captain also, but I'm worried because I live in Colorado. I don't know if I can stand reserve at the airport without it affecting my quality of life. How do you handle the commute as a captain? I asked, how do you handle the problem I am trying to solve? No matter what the problem is, think of what the problem you're trying to solve. How do you handle it? When you ask people for advice, it's just powerful as complimenting them because now you're literally complimenting their mind and their everything they know about life. 100% of the time when we get to that stage, they always reply. And also you're putting them in a position of superiority, making them feel good about yeah. themselves, making them feel in charge. And the person that feels good about themselves that is comfortable and in charge, you've got their attention. It's a great way to to, to establish ground with them. I deal with a lot of, over the years, I've dealt with a lot of physicians, people in the medical industry. And one of the things I found is that there are some doctors out there that prefer to always be called doctor. Mm -hmm. And when I meet a doctor for the first time, I will address them as doctor until they tell me otherwise. Oh, call me John. Mm -hmm. Same thing in the military. Warrant officers in the military are usually the pretty chill guys. They're like the nurse practitioners of the medical field and aviation in the army. And the warrant officers don't want to be called chief warrant officer so-and-so. They just want to be called John <laughs> at the end of the day. Oh, really? But the colonel wants to be called a Colonel Johnson or whatever it may be. So that does matter. So for, like, for example, like what you had said, and, you, and I want to hit on, you said, hey, captain, see, they, that is good until the captain says, call me David. Yeah. Now, right. make, may, you may want to throw up in your mouth a little bit having to do that time and time again, because literally... Mike's a lot smarter than 90% of the airline captains I've ever met. So he's probably a lot, geez, you're surrounded by turkeys. But at the end of the day, it's what you do to establish rapport. The minute you build that rapport, that person says, I'll call me David. Now you're on more of a common ground. Whatever you say is going to get through and they're going to hear you. Yeah. So when you talk about advice, Mike, what does that look like with a real estate investor? So like, your contact list might necessarily have a real estate investor on it. As a real estate investor, contacting my friend Dave. Hey, Dave, you just got a, a great promotion. Wow. I'm, I plan on getting a promotion also. What did you advise I do with extra money? Where do you advise that I invest it? What I'm getting to is asking for advice related to their offer. Does it have to be specifically what you're going to be providing a solution to? No. But related to it, hey, what, what would you do with that, all that extra money that you, you're getting in your paycheck? Something as simple as that. So I just want to throw a question in there so I'm clear. What's your time frame for this type of conversation? Is this kind of a Gary Vaynerchuk jab, jab, right hook? Oh, Where yeah. it's it more is 
progression and it happens like right away within a five minute block of time? Or is this something that goes out over days? I think that's a great question because I've been playing with that right now. When you send a, a message to your friends on the contact list, after you send the one message, walk away. Some people you'll see are on their phone or whatever, and they will get back to you immediately. I ask and I recommend this. When your friend replies to you, reply immediately with one message, no more than one message. Sometimes maybe they're doing something. You don't want to push it. You don't want to bother them. But if you could tell that they're engaged on the phone, keep that engagement going. Keep the momentum going. I had three contacts. So you just pop in right now. I didn't, I contacted them three days ago. It took them a while, but because I acknowledged coming, they complimented me after three days, they had to respond. But the important thing is keep the momentum going. I don't go on vacation for two weeks before you reply. So uh, an example of the advice thing, and I'm trying to think how this relates to real estate investors would go something like this. Hey, Mike, it's been a long time. How have you been? By the way, congratulations on that promotion. Oh, I know you used to do Airbnbs a while, but didn't you tell me you used to do Airbnbs a while back? I know you're not in Tampa anymore and you don't even get to Tampa all that often, but I just listed one in Tampa that is amazing. Three bedroom, two bath in the front, studio in the back. It's awesome. You should see the my photographers knock this thing out of the park. Do you know any pilots based out of Tampa that might be interested in having a 3-2 with a garage apartment where they could use the garage apartment as a crash pad and then they could rent out the 3-2 to a Airbnb guest? Anybody that you can think about that would be used, that would be interested in something like that, let me know. And by the way, this thing generates five grand a month in revenue. So what would you do as a pilot with an extra five grand a month in revenue? It's probably, maybe is that even a lot of money to you guys? And now I'm going to shut up and let Mike, the pilot, Ooh. tell me what's up. And you, Tyler, you covered step five, which I think is the most important thing, which gets you over the fear. You're not selling Dave to invest with you or to sell his house. Instead, do you know anybody who could benefit from my solution is what you just did there. I think that's the most powerful thing. And that's what got me over the hump because I don't want to sound salesy. Instead of asking for a sale, I'm asking... Do you know anybody who could benefit from this? Here's how the rest of that conversation probably would have gone if it was a real conversation. Because see, I know Mike, he's my friend that he's an airline pilot. I know that he knows Tampa very well. I know that he flies into Tampa, not all the time, but often enough. And he still loves Tampa Bay area and all that, right? So he knows pilots in the area. And yes, I genuinely do want him to refer my opportunity to someone else. But I threw in a particular hook that I knew would capture Mike. I said, do you know anybody that would like another five grand a month? You tell an airline pilot five grand a month, they're going to be like, I don't have to turn on the APUs. I don't have to commute to get the five grand a month. It just shows up in my mailbox every month. Tyler, although I'm out in Vegas and I live in Colorado, but I'm based in Vegas, I might be interested in another five grand a month. As a matter of fact, I'm starting some crash pads in Vegas. When you said crash pad, I started thinking, geez, maybe I'll buy this property and turn it into a crash pad. Let me ask you, how big are the bedrooms? You see how that plays out? Yeah. You asked me about my friends and in the back of my mind, it's like, oh, wait, I want a piece of that five grand a month. That's right. But you did not not offering it to you. And by not offering it to Mike right away, I, in essence, did what they call a takeaway. I dangled it in front of his nose. Look at the T-bone steak. Do you know anybody that's hungry? I'm hungry. (laughs) I know, Mike, but you don't, you're a vegetarian. Moving on. You should 
Who do you know that would be interested in a nice juicy steak that's been marinating for two days in Italian dressing and is smothered with mon- with mushrooms? Oh, mushrooms, you're a vegetarian. Next thing, Mike's going to be down to Publix going, give me a steak. I don't care about my principles. <laughs> yeah. The hell are cute little cows. Because following this process, let's recap again, because this is important. You go with what you know. Mm-hmm. Your initial, they call it a, in real estate, a realtor world, they call it sphere of influence. Every realtor training you ever do in the world talks about first reaching out to your sphere of influence. Hey, my name is Johnny. You remember me and I'm a realtor. Now they know that Johnny's a realtor and you're thinking nobody's going to recommend me because I'm new and I'm terrible at what I do. You'd be surprised. A lot of people want to recommend you because, geez, they want to help you out because they're on your contact list, which probably means they're not bad people or they would be on your delete list. So no trust is for the most degree, you can assume that's happened. Now you can go out and send postcards and there's nothing wrong with that. But when you're doing postcards, it is a completely different animal because you're reaching a cold audience. And by cold, I mean somebody that doesn't know who you are, what you're about. And the only way they'll ever be able to gauge that is to read what's on your card. And hopefully that will inspire them to reach out to you. This method, on another hand, in other words, is starting with a warm lead. You've already established no and trust because you already know and trust each other. You acknowledge common ground. How have you been? What's going on? Nobody likes to be called specifically to be sold. Mm-hmm. Oh, hey, Mike, buy my shit. Mike's going to be like, where have you been the last 10 years? I haven't seen you since Noah. What have you been doing? I think I saw you on Facebook. What are you up to? Oh, yeah, buy my shit. Again, I don't want to buy your shit. I wanted to see what you're up to, right? Yeah. Compliment them. Yeah. Hey, man, to- I see, see you're an airline pilot now. Let me run through this little step-by-step thing. Mike, you went from the from the nautical side. You got your mate's license, didn't you? Yeah, with Noah. That's awesome. And now you're a pilot. Get out of here. I would probably get a private pilot's license, but I'm not sure I'm even qualified to fly a big jet, let alone with people in it. Ha. Uh-huh. Now Mike feels smarter than me because he's accomplished more than me. I've downplayed my situation and I ask, hey, as I said, I'm in real estate now and it's been a while since I've had a sale and I need, I'm a flipper. And so I'm looking for something I can buy that I can turn around and fix up and flip for some profit. If you ever run across anybody that's having a tough time financially and wants to get rid of their house and doesn't want to pay real estate commissions, would you do me a favor? Let me know. I'd really appreciate it. Yeah. You were not pointing the finger directly at me. Now I feel empowered. Oh, I know Dave. Yeah. Let me hook up. to. I could really use this offer too. Cause I'm sure that's a lot of money I could use. The guy need to sell my house. That's right. Yeah. Pointers, Mike, because I know there are some good pointers in that video that resonated with you. You've been actually doing this exercise this week, trying to fill up your crash pad. What are some of the things that you've taken away from actually practicing this method? It is easy because it's all over text. Whatever messenger platform you use, you do not have to call them. If it's your friend, and when you do everything we've mentioned, establish common ground, compliment them, ask them for advice, they will reply. I am living proof of that. I will go so far to say this. I no longer answer my phone unless you are already in my contacts list. So if you've changed your phone number Mm -hmm. at all since you gave it to me last time, you'll never get me to answer. And yes, I am a realtor. And the reason why I won't answer it because either I hear this beep on the other end or someone's trying to tell me that I qualify for a tax credit. Or selling me a widget. So in this regard, text messaging is far more effective for that reason. Yeah. 
right out of the gate. And I've been doing about 35 to 39 a day. Wow. It sounds like a lot, but it doesn't sound like a lot, right? It's important that you don't have canned messages, right? I would agree. However, what I do, I have canned messages that I tweak based on the conversation we're having. So I've got the skeleton of the message. Let me change it to words. Let me add a little bit up front just to connect it to their message so they know that I'm listening. But I'm still on track to ask them for advice, come out, and then ask them for this, um, if they know anybody who would benefit from this. So messages is, is so easy. Like I mentioned, uh, when you're engaged and going back and forth, keep going back and forth. Do not stop messaging until you can see that they slow down. Why do I say that? You've already asked them if they know anybody. Because if they say, oh, yeah, but I know Dave and I know this guy, and I this guy, they're going to keep on going and offer you advice, offer you more leads when they're fully engaged. When you see their responses slow down, and now we can check out, hey, thanks so much, Tyler, for all your help. I'll, I'll see you next week, blah, blah, blah. Now you can close it. So keep the engagement, but feel once they're disengaging and close it with a nice thank you. Another big thing with text message, huge. When you see the little three uh, dots up top when they're typing, if you see that they're typing, don't do a damn thing. Because when people are typing, their minds are in the, the send mode. And if you send a message while they're in the send mode, they don't see it. They literally don't read because they're so engaged with your response to what you, what they said, not what you just interrupted them. It's, um, yeah, it really is like interrupting them. It is. Aside from that, you may stop them from typing the message they were going to send you. They could forget what the message is, and then you're never going to be able to download that information. Yeah. yeah. That's why they say you learn more with your eyes open, your ears open, and your mouth shut than you ever will any other way. And this is exactly what I'm talking about. What you were talking about, Mike, is you, you, once you say something, don't even bother starting typing the next message until you receive a message back. Number one, it's for your sanity, because who's going to sit around going, waiting? I have people in my life. I think it's, yeah, you're one of those people, Mike. Sometimes you text Mike <laughs> and it'll be like nine hours before he replies. Well, that's because he's on an airline or flying somewhere with a, the lives of three of a couple hundred people at, a, <laughs> at his fingertips. He can't reply right away. So trying to instant message an airline pilot doesn't necessarily work unless for a fact he's on the ground and doing his thing. A lot of professionals, they shut their phone off during the day. Like when I'm writing copy, I shut my phone completely off. My buddy is a land investor and he spends a lot of time, the most concentrated he is of all the aspects of marketing for or all aspects of being a land investor for him is his mailings. He uses direct mail. And when he's calling a list and creating a list of people to mail to, he shuts everything and everybody out of his life for a block of time. He has, goes to his office, closes the door, all distractions go away until he's done. He goes in the zone. He doesn't come back out until he's done. So that said, if you're just one of those people, you wind up being the jealous girlfriend, right? You keep yapping anyway, and then you've let the cat out of the bag. You, you've already skipped all the important steps because understand this, guys, this methodology is an emotional one. Mm, That's yeah. what makes it so powerful. It's because people get engaged with you. They get engaged with the fact that you actually are acknowledging them and you're thinking more about them right away than yourself for a change, right? That's new in today's world because normally everybody's looking for the broken out for themselves. That's what makes this so powerful. So respect the process. Take your time. Yeah. Last piece of advice I would recommend. I'll recommend it because I made the mistake. Do not 
mention your offer at all into at least two exchanges back forth. If you mention your offer too soon, I guarantee you they're going to check out because now they smell a salesman. So you haven't warmed them up enough. My parting thoughts are this, and a lot of folks are probably sitting there listening to this episode going, that's great. But the one thing you guys didn't address is what to do when you're not, when you're, you don't feel, when you have the anxiety of succeeding. In other words, when I have a lead, I don't know what to do next, or I don't have the money to pull the trigger on the deal, or I don't have the deal to pull the trigger on pitching the money to the investor. Here's the thing, guys. When you do good, honest work, when you operate out of integrity, these will not be problems for you. If you are out there being uh, misleading in any way, shape, or form, then that is going to come through in what you're doing, as it should, because that's your I'm a human nerve telling you that you're not doing things appropriately. The thing you got to realize here, guys, and I know a lot of you that listen to this episode are wholesalers, and the wholesalers struggle a lot with marketing because what they're selling really is nothing. When you've got nothing to sell, and you're going to, it's going to come out that you're insecure and that you're full of BS, right? So instead, how do you do that? You go out and you do good business. You actually go talk to sellers. You look for motivated sellers, market to them and explain to them the process. It's more than you can just close in seven days and say, look, one of the benefits that I provide is that you and I sit down and figure out what's the best way for you to get out of this house. Focus on the seller's problem. You don't have to get into the typical song and dance that all these wholesale gurus teach you to be a successful wholesaler. You got to separate the motivated sellers from the unmotivated. You don't have to promise that you're going to close in seven days. You don't have to promise any of that garbage that people put on their marketing because that's disingenuous marketing. And when you do that, you're starting out on the wrong foot right away and you're going to have those feelings and you're going to fail. So instead, be honest to people. Now, that doesn't mean you can walk, you have to walk in there and say, I'm broke. I don't have any money. Just don't walk in there pretending that you're the OG and that you got a suitcase full of cash when you don't, because none of that matters. None of that matters. What matters is, Mike, I know you've, you you mentioned when we were on the phone that you thought about selling your house. We talked about the reason why you're selling your house is that unfortunately your grandmother is on her deathbed and she needs the money for that surgery. And grandma is an important part of your life and you're $50,000 away from getting her the brain transplant that she needs. Let's sit down. When would be a good time that we could talk about how to get her that 50 grand? Now, Mike's shit, he's paying attention to me. Great. And you're really genuinely focused on getting that 50 grand. Now, to the person, all they know is that they interpret that house with their way to getting 50 grand. So now we're going to continue talking about how's it going to feel when grandma's had the surgery and starts to feel better. It's going to feel great, Tyler. Great. Now they're drawing in closer to you. See how this works? That's doing good business. At no time, I can say, Mike, I can tell you, I can close seven days in 15 minutes and not a minute late. You don't pay those dirty realtor commissions, none of that stuff, because that's not realistic. Listen, Mike, there's a couple of different ways we could do this. We could do this fast, right? So you could sell it. We could get it under contract right now. And what I'm going to do is I'm a marketer. I go out and find investors that are looking to fix up and flip a property to make a, a profit for themselves. To do that, I got to leave some meat on the bone. And you, as you'd said, you got some repairs you want to take care of. They don't necessarily have the money to fix. So one of the things we could do is you and I could come to an understanding on price. Okay. I'm going to go find someone to give me a little more money than, than you need. So I can make a fair commission. Does that make sense? Is that fair to you, Mike? Mike's going to say, well, of course it is. Cause Mike doesn't have the balls to say it's not because that would be silly. Mike genuinely believes because I'm being honest with him 
that I deserve to get something when I can provide something for him that he's not able to provide for himself. And that's a motivated buyer willing to pay him more than what he wants. Mike, this might take me a couple of weeks, understand. But good news is grandma's going to get taken care of because if you believe in me, like I believe in me, we're going to get this done. So I'm going to have you sign this contract that basically ratifies what we talked about in person here. It, it documents that I'm going to find a buyer that's going to come in and buy this on my behalf. They're going to replace me in the contract. That's called an assignment. If you want, feel free to talk to your attorney about it. It's very standard. No big deal. Here's a copy of my generic Florida real estate contract. It's the same one that all realtors and all lawyers use in the state of Florida. So it's very simple. This little box here says, I agree that it's okay to assign it, which you already said you would. And just sign here and off we go. We can get grandma scheduled for that surgery. Boom. Now you got your property. So now when you go find buyers, you can with a straight face say, I've got a great deal. It's an amazing opportunity. I'm not sure what the rehab money is. I'm not even going to begin to guess, but I can get you in there Tuesday to go see it. Now the whole, the buyer can go in there, take a look at it, bring their contractor sorted out. Bam. That's how you do a 25 to $50,000 assignment deal. Not this $5,000. I'm going to lie and blow smoke up your ass garbage guys. So I'm going to leave it right there. I hope you guys have a great week and we will catch up with you next time.